If you've ever had a business idea, but are a little apprehensive about dipping your toes into a new space or being a leader in your niche, then this episode is a must listen for you. I'm chatting with Rosie Mensa, dietitian, community builder, and food activist. Rosie is the founder of an online course called CEDAR, C-E-D-A-R, which stands for Culture, Equity, Diversity, and Race. It's an action-oriented course specifically designed for nutrition professionals to learn how to weave anti-oppression, anti-racism, and cultural competency into their personal and professional lives. Rosie shares her journey from square one, from how she came up with the idea in the first place, to the many iterations of the course that she has gone through, and where she is now with her business and marketing. To be honest, this episode was actually recorded back in summer 2021, before I had my baby, but as you may have noticed, my productivity post-baby dropped way off, and I've only been able to publish one new episode a month since last summer. So I really underestimated what the postpartum period would be like, and I'm sure all you moms listening are probably laughing at my naivete, but hey, that is the truth. So I finally realized I can't do this all on my own anymore, and I just hired my first part-time employee. So I will be upping the frequency of this podcast again, yay! But anyway, the point is, since Rosie and I recorded this conversation so long ago, there have been some changes in her business since then. Most notably, she has rebranded since we recorded from the Rosie Nutritionist, which was her previous brand name, to just her personal name, Rosie Mensa. So you can find her at rosiemensa.com and at Rosie Mensa on all the social media platforms. That's R-O-S-I-E is her first name and last name M-E-N-S-A-H. So when you hear us chatting about her brand, know that she did go through with the rebrand that she mentions and it's beautiful. And as always, if you're looking for the links to anything that we talk about in this episode, just head to my site, theunconventionalrd.com, look for this podcast episode, and you can find all the most recent ways to connect with Rosie and find her Cedar course. And of course, I always invite you to come join my free Facebook group where you can hang out with Rosie and over 12,000 other food, health, and wellness professionals. Just search for the Unconventional RD community on Facebook and request to join. So let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Unconventional RD Podcast, where we inspire dietitians to think outside of the traditional employment box and create their own unconventional income streams. We'll talk all things online business to help you start, grow, and scale your own digital empire. Hi, Rosie. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I am thrilled to have you here and get to chat with you about your career and your ventures in online business. And I always like to start out the episodes by getting a little background on my guests. So could you tell us more about yourself, kind of like how you got into dietetics and got into entrepreneurship? Yes. And firstly, I want to say thank you so much for having me. I really, really love your podcast and I've been listening to it for such a long time. So a little bit about me. I'm a dietitian. Actually, I'm in Canada. So I'm based in Canada and I've been a dietitian for a little over two years now. And really, though, it started off with my experience growing up with food insecurity. So I experienced that early on in life. And it really showed me that there was such a powerful relationship between food and health and just not having access to it what like the impacts on your what could happen to you essentially and I saw that early on and I saw that with other members of my community 
So it really motivated me to, you know, to do something and to, to explore different opportunities. In addition to that, growing up, I really didn't see myself as a Black woman represented in healthcare. And just knowing how important it is to have representation, that's also something that really motivated me. So I remember like in high school, I was really interested in like cosmetology. So like hairstyling and makeup. And it was really between that and dietetics. And I was like, you know what, let me just do this dietetics thing and see what happens. So I ended up studying nutrition and I was super interested in systems level health. So I also did a master's degree in public health as well. Because I thought doing that could allow me to make the most impact with the most amount of people. But, you know, I quickly learned that, you know, we work and live in systems. And sometimes, you know, you could have all these great intentions, but not have opportunities to actually do that. And I had always thought about business, but I didn't expect myself to get into it so soon. And I thought that, you know, having a business provides so many different opportunities and can really allow me to do the things that I want to do and help the people who I want to help. So when it came to my entrepreneurship journey, it really started because I couldn't find a job. (laughs) I relate to that. (laughs) Mine was more like, I couldn't find a job I actually like wanted to do. (laughs) So I just created something. Right. Yeah. So it was a combination. So over here in Canada, I don't know when I graduated, there just wasn't much and there still isn't. So like almost like two, two and a half years later, there's still not a lot of opportunity. And if there was something, I, there was a lot more clinical positions and I've just never been interested in clinical nutrition. And I, I was like, you know, I'm not going to just take a job just to take a job. Like it just wasn't going to happen. So I ended up getting like a few temporary part-time contracts, just piecing them together. And I'm like, this is not sustainable. I cannot keep doing this. And I just know I have so much more to offer. So really it was out of me not being able to find work or like work that I found meaningful. And I was like, you know, business is an opportunity and it's an option. So let me just try it out. And actually I discovered your Facebook group like around that time. And then I saw that there was other people doing this mainly from the U.S., So that was something that I noticed early on, the difference in terms of entrepreneurship in Canada versus the U.S. And it kind of really inspired me to just try it out and to just put myself out there and just do the thing. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. And just to see how far I've come now is really amazing. Such a great story. (laughs) And (laughs) I'd love to get more details. Like, so what did you do? Like, you're like, okay, I want to start a business. But what did you what what were like the action steps you took? Okay, so when I first started taking things seriously, I found this consulting position. So it was like a part-time consulting role, but essentially I was focused more on community engagement. And throughout my dietetics journey, I've always been super involved in community work, specifically like food justice work. So I was able to bring my knowledge of like healthcare, dietetics, but also that community engagement piece. And throughout that too, I was trying to build my presence online on social media. So I ended up taking this job. It was to basically do social media and community engagement for a youth organization. So it was like, I was hired as an independent contractor. So I wasn't really working for them, but I was kind of working on my own. So that was my first sort of introduction. 
And on the side, I would start to do the, the speaking engagement. So I'd go into different organizations. They'd want someone to come in to talk about nutrition. And I would go for like an hour, prepare my presentation and then go into the, their space. So that led me to another opportunity doing something similar. But all these things were not they were so random. I, I barely got paid on time. I remember one time I didn't get paid for three months. Yeah, it was it was awful. It taught me a lot. Um, and it was, I still felt that I was working for someone and not for myself because I had to kind of wait on other people to do a lot of the things that I was doing. So then I started actually thinking about other ways to build my business. So I started doing more speaking engagements on my own. So like hosting different things online. That's when I would say really, I, I started really taking it really seriously when I kind of just put myself out there. At this point, I was growing a presence on Instagram mainly and just trying things out. So I started doing some speaking engagements through like uh, Zoom, you know, charging people like a small fee to attend. Uh, and then that led to more engagements. And that led to me being asked to participate on different panels or moderating different events to where I am now. So I'm doing that more. And I actually started have my own services and my own products, which are something, some things that I control and I lead. Amazing. So some things that I just wanted to pull out from that, because I thought they were really great little nuggets. <laughs> I think first, that's a great insight as I think a lot of people start in the entrepreneurship, freelancing world, maybe as independent contractors, like you mentioned, which is great. It's a great way to not have to work a full-time job and still support yourself, but you're so right how you're still kind of technically like at the whim of other people. If you're like charging an hourly rate for a service and you're providing that service to other people or companies. Uh, so I like that, that you felt that and then moved into more owning your own brand. I think that's a really good insight. And then the second thing I really liked was how you said when you leaned into kind of promoting yourself on social media and having the courage to be like, Hey, I'm doing this event and charging people for it. And just saying, this is me. And this is what I offer. That is what led to even more people approaching you and bringing up new opportunities that, you know, who knows where all those will lead in the future and the people you meet and all that. So, so key to have the courage initially, even when you have that imposter syndrome feeling maybe to be like, this is me and this is what I can offer. Definitely. And oh, imposter syndrome is a huge thing. And I like read books about it. Like I do my affirmations. I have to like pump myself up before a lot of things. But it's so important, I think, when you're building a business to also have a supportive community. And that's always something that's grounded me, like my community work, but also the community I have while I'm creating something. And I think that's also what's been so helpful, um, you know, because we can be our worst critics, especially in business. And that imposter syndrome, even if you've been doing it for decades, you still feel it. So just having um, that support system has really helped, I think, push me forward as well. So can you maybe give us some more insight on the offerings that you have today and give some shout outs to like your social handles and your brand name and everything so people can listen to it more? <laughs> yes, sure. So on, so my main platform at the moment has been Instagram, but I'm really looking at diversifying where I'm at. But on Instagram, you can find me at the Rosie Nutritionist. And it's so funny because when I was coming up with this handle, 
at the time I felt very conflicted because you know I don't know if you felt this way but when we were being taught in schools like we kind of always had this idea that dietitians were like the be all end all of everything so I was like should I even use the word nutritionist like I worked so hard to become a dietitian but I was like if I'm serving the public like they're gonna be able to identify with that and then I can provide some education so I just went with that the rosy nutritionist so that's where you can find me at on the rosynutritionist.com as well. But I'm actually looking at doing more than that. So being my own personal brand. So aside from the nutritionist, like, cause I, I provide a lot more, I do a lot more than just that. So I'm hopefully gonna be switching and being able to just use my own name, like Rosie Mensa. But for now, that's where you can find me. And so some of the offerings. So right now I actually created a course, which we can, I think we'll get into more, but I created a course specifically for dietitians and other nutrition professionals, where essentially it's a self-study course. I started off uh, creating it. It was two live offerings that I had, and then I made it a self-study. And then I also do a lot of different speaking engagements. So I go into different spaces, whether it's, um, you know, dietitian organizations or nonprofits, and mainly do talks around equity, inclusion, anti-racism, anti-oppression, or I'll even do things around the relationship between food insecurity and like disordered eating, that space. So I do that as well, which I really enjoy. And then I also, like I said, do events. So this past March, I actually did a nutrition month event where I led a panel. I actually planned it, executed it, moderated it. It was a whole event. And that's something I hope to continue to do to bring in, you know, different ways to people can learn and come together. Like, how did you decide those were the ways you're going to offer everything in your business? Like what drew you to courses and speaking engagements and events versus, I don't know, one-on-one consulting or something like that? Great question. So I did the one-on-one thing for like a few months and it was just so draining. I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I quit, I quickly knew that this wasn't for me. Like I I knew it and I didn't want to force it, you know, because a lot of people say it's good experience. And I guess so, if that's what you want to do, but if it's something that you don't really want to do, then is it good experience? I don't know. So (laughs) I, I knew that wasn't for me just, you know, even in terms of my energy and where I could see my my skill set, as well as where I really felt my purpose was. Like, I think it gave me great insight to know the clientele that I want to serve, but it, it showed me that I want to do it in a different way. So the reason why I'm offering these things now is really because I enjoy speaking and educating. Like, I think if I had a second career, I'd be like a teacher probably. And then I also love, love building community. And I think providing these sorts of events where people come together in larger groups is something that I really feel is aligned with my overall purpose and what I, I feel like I do well. So the course, the self-study course, essentially I did it that way because it could reach a lot more dietitians. People can do it on their own pace. I think it's also a great way for people to sort of explore the topic without maybe feeling embarrassed if they don't know certain things, like they can do it on their own. And also in terms of we're talking about business, it's passive income stream, which I think is just a great way to do business. So that's why I went in that direction. And then the community events, I think is just something that I enjoy doing, bringing people together. So that's also why I do that as well. 
Okay. So I'd love to get more details because I think a lot of people listening to this podcast would potentially be interested in checking out a course like the one that you offer. Uh, so I don't know. I was poking around on your LinkedIn <laughs> and I saw a post that you did and I just really liked, it was like a, a message and it said that you're not interested in convincing people that social inequities exist in our field, but you are here with your Cedar course for the people who recognize that fact and are ready to make a change and learn how to work in a way that is anti-racist and anti-oppressive. And I thought that was like so well said. (laughs) So for people listening, that's sort of like the gist of Rosie's course. It's called Cedar. Um, Maybe let us know what does Cedar stand for? Essentially, it is a course for dietitians and other nutrition professionals on anti-racism and anti-oppression with a big part of it around cultural competency and food justice as well. And really this course was created because I found that there weren't many resources available for dietitians. A lot of my learning when it came to this content was just through like my lived experiences, but also that community work that I talked about before, like actually going out there and speaking to people who we, you know, our goal is to serve. But, but I think often our education and training is so focused on us as the experts, but not actually listening, listening to the people who need our help or who, are, who we're supposed to be helping. So essentially last year when, you know, there was more of a, I don't know the right word, but there was more attention being placed on, you know, anti-racism, equity, anti-oppression, I found that there weren't resources for dietitians. So even if you were trying to find something, I just found that there weren't, wasn't anything really for you or not something comprehensive that could really give you a good foundation for you to continue your learning. So I, I had always posted about this stuff because I was, like I said, my lived experiences, I was always interested in community and activism. And I was always talking about these issues, but I didn't really talk about it within dietetics because I just didn't feel like there was space for that or people wanted to have that conversation. Like I remember I was one of four black students in my whole graduating like undergrad class. And I'm the only one who actually became a dietitian out of the four. Yeah. And in my master's, there was just two of us. And like these issues, I think a big part of it is because I lived them, but also because of representation. If you kind of all have the same voices, always, you're you're not going to be able to, you know, get this exposure. And I was kind of like, okay, well, people seem to want to know, why not offer something? I have the expertise, I have like the work experience, and I have all this knowledge and people want it. So hey, like, ding, you know, like, (laughs) I can make an, I can make an impact and make an income really, you know, and provide resources to help, you know, the clients and the dietitians. And that's always been my goal. So that's how it started. And I ran, ran the course live twice. So I remember the first time doing the first round, I was so nervous, nervous. (laughs) but I did it. And I had eight people register for the first round. Yeah. I was like, wow, people actually want this, you know, like the importance of like actually validating your idea. And actually before that, let me rewind to actually validate that people wanted this. I actually hosted a webinar before that, and I had over 300 people register for it. Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) So you were like, okay, I'm going to just test the waters to see if there's even interest in people learning about it. And then phase two is like, okay, 
obviously there is. <laughs> and so you created a more premium product for people who wanted to go further. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. That's perfect um, synergy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I did research. I just, I think I, your podcast, let me, like, I'm not just saying this, but your podcast episodes are so helpful. I even send them to some of my friends who aren't dietitians, just who are in business, just to learn. I'm like, this is so good. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, I bet people are going to say that listening to this episode too. So yay. <laughs> yes. But I also enrolled in a course called a course from scratch. Mm-hmm. And that also helped me to sort of learn about the process of actually creating a course. So I did that and I validated it. I had, I did a pre-sale to actually see what people wanted and that people would actually pay for it. And then I created it. I actually created it week by week. So it was, it ran for four weeks. I was so stressful, so stressful, but I did it. But you did it. (laughs) Yeah. I did the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, and honestly, the feedback was amazing. Right. And I really feel like not only was I able to make an impact, but I am building a community of like-minded dietitians, nutritionists, health coaches who are committed to doing this work. So after that, a few months after that, I ran it again because I wanted to just, you know, hone in on the material, just get more confident in my delivery and just to get more testimonials as well for the course. So I did round two. It also went really well. And it was actually a different set of dietitians. So it helped me to even explore further. Do I want to niche even more within the dietetic field? Because there's so many different types of RDs and nutritionists. Yeah, um, that, that was going to be one of my questions. Like, is there a oh. certain type of dietitian that would benefit most? Like, people who work in hospital setting or private practice or I don't know yeah I can answer that and actually the first the first round interestingly enough was mainly dietitians who work who have worked or worked in public health so that was really interesting and it was sort of like I was speaking to the choir because like I also studied public health but the second round was a way more diversity. So we had some people working in eating disorders, some people who were working in business, even business coaches, some who were health coaches, and some working in schools. And what I found and from the feedback is like everyone can get something for it, from it. So it's really a course that you can get what you need from it. I definitely think it's and the other thing too it's even if you're not familiar with it you can also really benefit as well as someone who is more familiar with the content so it's kind of quite relevant to just dietetics in general and you can really really get what you need from it and I as I you know evaluate the course make revisions I might get more and more niche but right now I'm getting a lot of feedback from different dietitians that you know they're gaining what they need from the course and then what do you think like made the difference in who you attracted in the first cohort versus the wider variety in the second cohort? Was it like your marketing or what do you think? Oh, I think, okay. What I think the first cohort, I feel like it was people who was, were like waiting for this. If that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. they've been wanting this information probably for years, but they couldn't find it specific to dietetics. Mm -hmm. Like you can find anti-oppression stuff in other spaces, but nothing for dietetics. So I feel like that group was sort of like, yes, like finally there's something specific to dietetics. And I think that, and also I think also because they could relate to me as an instructor, as someone with my community and public health background. So I'm just trying to trace it back. So you had your Instagram 
and you did the free webinar. So did you mostly market it on Instagram? Yes. Instagram has been my go-to and yes, it's mainly been Instagram and that's also helped me grow my email list. Yeah. That was going to be my next question. So then everyone I'm assuming who signed up for the webinar probably got added to your email list <laughs> and <Yes. laughs> was invited to join your course when that was ready. And I just really quickly, while we were talking, I just did the math. <laughs> and even if you're just counting like the 300 people from the webinar and then the eight people enrolling, that's a 2.6% conversion rate, which is great. I say this a lot on the podcast, like people should generally expect like one to 3% is like right where most people land <laughs> in terms of conversions and audience size and all that. So congratulations on that. <laughs> oh, thank you. That is so good to know because it's sometimes it's hard, you know, you are so excited and have all these like goals and dreams and you're like, oh, only like, only like two people registered or something. But if you really think about it and even do the math and it's, it's great. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> And then I'm sure it's just going to keep getting better as your audience grows and your messaging hones. It's like, it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Like since, since I started the course, which was the first live session was October 6th. I've enrolled 40 people in Dang, the course. That's great. Awesome. Have you kept the pricing the same or did you try raising it? So I raised the price from the first round. I've raised it twice. The first time I raised it about $40 and then I raise it again $50 and I think once I get continuing education units and do a little bit more tweaking the price will go up awesome. I love that I'm a huge fan of like <laughs> tweaking making improvements and then just like raising it until you feel like you found that sweet spot with each launch so I totally did that too, <laughs> but it's, it's so, I don't know if you felt like this, but when I did the very first one, I completely underpriced <laughs> my offer because I just was like, who's going to buy this, you know? Um, and then I think you gain confidence when you get the feedback, uh, the good feedback from people actually going through the content. And then even the having testimonials available afterwards, you're like, okay, I got this. Like I can raise my price. <laughs> right. For me, so I was saying earlier that I enrolled in a course to help me create the course. And in the course, they said, do not price it under $500. And I'm here panicking. Like, what do you mean? Like that, I, I was so nervous, like to not price it under 500. Cause I'm thinking like, you know, you get all these limiting beliefs, right? And so I was just like, let me just follow what it says. Just do what it says. So I priced the first course at 597. And I was so nervous, right? But I remember the webinar day, like the free webinar, that's when I actually pitched it. And I put it out there. I was, I was literally sweating. Okay. And <laughs> once the webinar ended, I, you know, took a deep breath. I checked my email and somebody had enrolled Yay. like within like five minutes. So yeah, I feel like that really helped me to price myself. But I think even in terms of if we're looking at value, I could definitely charge more. I could have, and but I get it's all learning. You know, we learn and we get better. And I think that's just part of like business. Yep. Well, I'm glad you pushed yourself to do the scary thing from the beginning. But yeah. I remember like the first time you get that sales notification email, you're just like, ah, it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I literally screamed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it sounds like you're in the process of trying to get approved for 
I, I would guess self-study CEUs, if that's how you're running it moving forward. Do you have an idea of when that might go through or how people can tell, like, where can they head to check out if CEUs are available right now? So, um, yeah, so in Canada, we actually don't use CEUs, but I've been getting a lot of my students are from the U.S., and they have told me about them. And I actually got approved for live CEUs when I did the live rounds. So I really feel like having CEUs is just better for everyone, essentially, to help with the requirements for the dietitians in the US. And then also, I think it just helps people to even feel more comfortable taking the course just because they need that. Yeah. So I'm going through the process. And I hope by within by I'm hoping by the end of September, it will be available. So I think that will really just be a game changer in terms of even sales, but also even helping students just to get some other goals. Like the content is one thing, but they also have other things that they need, which I completely understand. So I'm really hoping to get that process approved. Um, I created like my Google sheet with all the stuff that I need. So it is a process, but I really think it will make a significant impact on it. Yeah, I agree. And I've had people reach out because my courses have CEUs right now. And sometimes that's even a way for people to get their employers to pay for the course, which is another idea that maybe people haven't thought about. So sometimes if your employer offers you credits every year for continuing education, you can apply them to things like online courses, which is great. So <laughs> that's another reason for people to, to take the plunge if they're not sure, right. if they're on the fence. Right. And you can write it off as a business expense if you're a business owner. So, but you can do that either way, whether you see CEUs or not, but. <laughs> <laughs> but it helps. <laughs> yeah. So let's see. So big picture, I still want to talk about the marketing, but big picture, where do you see like your whole career and this business going like long-term? Like, where do you want to be in 10 years? That's a really great question. It's kind of like hard to answer in some ways. But I really want to just grow what I'm doing. So going back to the events that I was mentioning earlier, when when we are able, I would love to actually include in-person events too. Because I do really think networking is so key when we're doing anti-oppression and anti-racism work, like building that community and maybe doing events in different parts of North America even. So just really growing Cedar essentially and just having different offerings there. And then in terms of my, myself and my other passions, I'm really interested and want to do more work around supporting women, specifically women of color around building healthy relationships with food and also making that connection between food insecurity and disordered eating. Because I often feel like that does get missed and, and yet so many people do experience it. So finding ways to really create offers and services for that part of my business as well um, so it's kind of just growing, growing both, but also finding ways to innovate the profession as well. I think courses is one way that we're doing that, but other ways to provide education and training is something that I hope to do. And yeah, just get more people involved in this work essentially. But yeah, I think, I don't know, it, the opportunities are really endless. And I think just connecting with more people who are doing that is helping me to think bigger because if you would have asked me two years ago, if, if I was going to have a course, I'd be like, what? No. But, <laughs> you know, now I do have a course with 40 students in less than a year. And 
it's just I just plan on growing and even using social media to really help me grow my brand as well. I think both of the niches that you are just talked about are so good. They're so specific and clear and align so well with your lived experiences and your ultimate goals. So I just think that's a great example for everyone listening. Like, even if you are doing something totally different, like, but how can you take the same idea? Like, what have you been through? What are your interests? And then also going back to how you're like, oh, I know I like to teach and weaving that into the way that you're offering things. That's the key, like it being true to you. Uh, so you've done such a good job at that. I'm sure that's a huge part of why you're seeing so much success. Um, Thank you. So, yeah. Okay. So going back to the core stuff, because I just think people are largely <laughs> going to be interested in that listening. I get a lot of questions. So I'm trying to, you know, interview more people who have experience with courses in a different bunch of different settings. So you took, you took a course on how to make a course. Do you recommend that? Do you think that was a good investment? Okay. This is a good question. And I, I guess like it helped me, but I don't know if it was necessarily necessary. If I'm being completely honest, I would say it helped me to take the plunge. I don't know if the content was necessarily so like profound, but it really forced me to actually do it. So I think if you're someone who needs sort of accountability, like you need to put money towards something for you to actually do it then it could be helpful. But if you even could maybe if, if you're if you have like an accountability buddy, like someone who will help you, I, I think you could get away with that, to, to be honest. That's a really good point. Like know yourself. <laughs> know yourself. Yeah. So I think it was a good investment for me because I'm here now, you know, but do you need to? I don't know if you really need to. Yeah, I would I would say that's probably true for like most things like most education, I guess, in general on the internet, at least from the business standpoint, it's like you could technically find all the information, just the straight up information and the how to for free, like on YouTube or Google and blah, blah, blah. I think the value is if that's overwhelming for you <laughs> to think about having to piece that all together and you're like, please just tell me what to do, <laughs> then I think there is value in paying. And then, like you said, also the accountability. And I think it's interesting to like different types of courses because mine are all self, self-study and self-paced and there's no like urgency, I guess. <laughs> and sometimes I think about whether that's the best thing for the student experience. Cause I just, I recently did like a, a year long program. So there was like a start and an end date. And I did feel like that pushed me <laughs> a little bit mm-hmm. to take more action. Cause I was like, I got to actually get it done for this date, you know, when my access to this stuff expires or whatever, that's something I've been playing around with, like how to help people, how to build more accountability, I guess, into online courses in general, sort of a tangent, but. <laughs> no, I agree with you. And I, yeah. I would say, I, I agree where it's like, I think courses are so powerful. It's already curated exactly for you. And I think that is so valuable. And I'm not someone who wants to piecemeal everything and do it and go searching up for hours like I just don't want to do that so I think it really depends on you and I think having an instructor with that insight is so helpful so yeah I guess it, it really just depends on you and I think I love courses honestly but I love learning just in general and I think it's just powerful to hear from experts 
So what do you think, looking back, what was the most difficult part of launching and what was the easiest? Oh, the most difficult part, I would say it's a combination. I would say it's just believing that I could do it. So that was something I think was challenging, but then also more tangibly is putting the information together. Cause I had, there was so much information like this. You could talk about so much just with anything really, but with this in particular, because there, I didn't really have anything to reference or like nothing to really build on. It was just kind of what I thought was useful and what I got in terms of the feedback from like my survey. So I also did put out a lot of surveys to ask people what they needed and just kind of narrowing that down was really challenging and to also fit it in, in, in an hour, an hour long sessions, and then to also make it meaningful and something that they could apply, um, busy people. So that to me was quite challenging. And I spent hours, I think like reviewing things, removing things, adding things, supplementing things. And I think that was extremely challenging because there's so many things that I wanted to include, but I had to kind of put it back and remind myself like to get where I am now, I've been doing this work for like seven years. So there's no way a 20 hour or like a 10 hour course is going to cover it. So don't try to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Then that just overwhelms people anyway. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And so I would say those were two of the most challenging things. And then the easiest, oh, what was the easiest? I think so. Okay. Go, I'll talk about the live course and then the self-study. The live course for me, I would say the easiest thing was actually having conversations with the students, like actually getting to know what they needed, you know, where they worked, what they were actually doing and how this information was necessary to their work. So going back to like what I, I'm good at, like building community, having conversations. And I would say with the self-study course, and now I'm at a point where I'm more confident communicating the value of the course. And I think it's easier for me to talk about it with confidence and to talk about the actual impact that it's making in real people's lives and what they've said. So I would say just the communication around the course has been, I would say, I I wouldn't call it easy, but I'm getting there. Definitely. Well, that's the best news ever. (laughs) Some people take like years to step into that, but this is a good segue because I was actually going to ask about the transition from live to self-study and sort of why you made that decision. And then how did you have to shift your marketing when you're going from like, oh, it's happening on this date to, you know, well, I don't know, maybe you're still launching it as self-study on certain dates or, or is it more evergreen? I don't really know. So can we dive into that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Okay. So let's see. So, okay. Let's do the why first. Why I did that? Because firstly, running a live course is very tiring. And I was doing it back to back weeks, like for, I think four weeks back to back. And first time I did it was hour long sessions. And then it became an hour and a half because there was just so much to get through. And I was exhausted. And there's only so many people that you can support when you're doing it that way. And I had always wanted to go and to do a self-study course because I think people want to do things on their own time. And I was reaching people in different time zones. So even the live sessions were difficult because I'm in like the Eastern time zone and there was people in like Pacific and it was just difficult. 
Um, so that was a big thing. And then also just being able to reach more people with the self-study. So I really did the lives just to actually get to know my audience, to get to know, you know, what are the common things that I'm seeing? What do they need support with? And actually have conversations with real people, like face-to-face. So then the transition to the self-study was always something that I wanted to do. And if we're talking about like business-wise, in terms of just making a passive income stream, spending a lot of time creating it once and then just marketing it. So that was something. And then also just being able to reach more people and people being able to do it on their own time. So a part of that self-study was also me offering like office hours. So I, the first launch of the self-study was in March, 2021. And I just kind of wanted to see what was going to happen. At the time, it was more so just getting people to see the content, to give me feedback. I wasn't really offering office hours, but recently from like June to July, I started offering office hours. And it's interesting because not many people came, but the people that did come, I got a lot of great feedback and they said they did appreciate that. So I think where I'm going to go moving forward is to maybe offer office hours, maybe like once a month to still have that engagement because people did want to interact with me um, and have conversations because with this material, you want to talk to people as well. But the self-study, some people went through it on their own and were fine. So it just provides options. And for me as a business, I think in terms of scaling, it's just a good way to go. Yeah. And that's a good balance for the people who want to do it on their own versus the people who really want to talk and and tap into the community. I just switched as well because I used to do weekly office hours when I ran things live. And then I switched to monthly for the ongoing. And I think that's been a good balance and it gives people some time to submit some questions in advance and get an idea of what to talk about leading into it. So I totally agree. It's, that's been a good balance for me too. And then is it something where it's just like there on your website and people can enroll at any time, or is it like it's open this, this time and then you have to get in or it's closing and then you open it again later? So this is a good question. So when I first launched it in March, it was just open. So I was saying it's coming out this day and I gave people an opportunity to purchase it before it came out at a discounted rate. So I had a few sales that way. But then once I kept it open, I I didn't have anyone buying it. Like it was like crickets. Essentially, there was no one. I think no one. And I'm like, okay, this is not working. So basically what I've done now, it's actually closed for enrollment right now. And prior to closing, I sent a bunch of emails, like I posted on Instagram and I had a bunch of people buy before it closed, but I'm, I'm basically working on a new strategy because that wasn't working. And essentially I'm thinking about going into having like an evergreen, like webinar available, like a free webinar as like a lead magnet and driving people to the course that way, because it wasn't working for me to have it open because firstly, there was a lot of confusion. A lot of people thought that it was still a live course. Some people, they felt like they didn't have enough time to complete it. So I guess the communication around it wasn't clear. Like people, I haven't talked enough about it around it being self-study for people to really know. Um, So that's something that I'm working on as well, but I don't think leaving it just open without any sort of a funnel is, is working. <laughs> yeah. I had a similar experience. <laughs> I totally agree. I think when it's, it's coming on a certain date, 
there's just naturally a lot of marketing that you're doing and talking about it that helps build the interest and then the urgency of the deadline. And then if you aren't intentional after that, it means like if you're going to keep it up to be open, you still have to talk about it at all times in order to get people in there, which is like a little draining, (laughs) at least for me. So I agree. That's why I switched all my stuff to Evergreen as an experiment. And actually, this could be a cool update for people listening. I know this is going to air after the time of this recording, but it's been a little over a month, I think, since I opened up my funnel and there's so many different layers of what I'm actually building. And I'm just on like layer one (laughs) where it's like someone joins my Facebook group and they get a set of emails to watch a webinar. So that has been successful. And then eventually get invited to join the course for a limited time (laughs) via email. So there's a deadline. And right now it's been enrolling like two people a week on Evergreen with, you know, I don't get that many people added through the Facebook group, maybe like I don't know, maybe like 20 something people a week ish, maybe a little more. So that's like really good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like, and it's my course is like a thousand dollars right now. So basically like $8,000 a month, just with the email funnel with the webinar. So, and that's without really doing ads or like really talking about it that much anywhere. So I can only imagine it's going to get better uh, with, with more marketing layered on like more intentional marketing. So yeah, highly recommend if you're thinking of experimenting with that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, that's literally what I want to do because it was just not working. And I guess it's a learning for me, but I was like, what is, this is not, I need to switch it up. So that's why I actually, um, close enrollment so I can make some updates as well as get the CEU approval. So I think that on top of actually having like a better funnel will help. Yeah. Yeah. And for reference, I had a less sophisticated email funnel that I had set up <laughs> previously for one of my courses. And it was just like a series of emails, no webinar, not that salesy or pitchy, I guess, like probably the bare minimum you could do (laughs) for an email funnel. And that I was only getting maybe max like four people a month on a good month through that. And and it was a way lower price point because the urgency I was providing was a a limited discount, which was not Mm. that smart either. (laughs) So many things to play with, but hopefully people listening, it's like, it's all an experiment. So. Right. Yeah. It's all an experiment. Yeah, for people listening, I think it's just important to just try it out. Like, that's what I'm learning. I'm like, why not? (laughs) Then you figure it out, you know, as you go. So, yep. And you'll never figure it out if you just don't try. (laughs) So, you'll always be wondering. (laughs) So, to wrap things up, if you are looking back on this whole experience and you needed to pass on maybe three tidbits to people, listening who might also be interested in venturing into running an online course? Like what are the three biggest things like either that you've learned or you wish you knew? Like what do people really need to know if they're listening and they're trying to get into this area? Biggest thing that comes to my mind is listen to your audience. Like they know what they want. Like there were so many times I had to just kind of coach myself, like to tell myself like, Rosie, it's not about what you want. It's about what they want. So I would say that is huge. And if you're still trying to figure out who you want to serve, like do your research and actually ask questions. I would say that's a big thing. So know your audience and listen to them. I would say that's maybe like two things. 
And the last thing I would say is, hmm, I want to give them something tangible. Oh, I would say validate your idea. That that too. That's huge. Validate your idea because you're, you don't want to spend all this time, energy, and resources on creating something that no one will buy. So it's important to find ways to validate it. And even if it takes you a little bit longer, it could just be so helpful in the long run. So that's something I would add. And if you do end up creating a course, I definitely recommend pre-selling as part of that. I was going to say, we can remind people the different ways you validate it, like building up an audience on social media, which is a form of validating because at least if people are following you, that means they're probably interested. (laughs) And then do a free webinar and then that got a lot of interest and that's great, but these are all layers. So a follow is very passive. Signing up for a webinar requires a little more engagement, (laughs) but it's still not paid. So it's low risk (laughs) for the people. And then you layered it on again and you're like, okay, this time I'm going to validate, will people pay for this? And that was like layer three. Um, So that's a nice little like progression if people are unclear of how validating goes. And then yes, of course, pre-selling, meaning you talk about the offer and give people the opportunity to pay you before you create it, technically. So you sold it and then you actually were, like you said, creating it week to week, which is stressful, but a great way to avoid a huge stressful flop. <laughs> like if you spent right. like six months creating it and then no one bought or something. No one wants that. Great tips. And where can people go if they want to connect with you further and follow your work? Where should, where should people follow you and check out the course? So you can follow me mainly on Instagram at the Rosie Nutritionist. And I have my website by the same name, therosienutritionist.com. And if you are interested in the course, you can go to www.rosiemensa.rd.thinkific.com. So I do use the platform Thinkific to host the course. So you can find me there. But definitely on socials, I'm very active. And you can kind of use that to find other things. Perfect. Great. Well, this was a great conversation. I know I said before we hopped on the call that I was like feeling really pregnant and sleepy and now I'm all energized because I love talking oh, about good. this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for, uh, for doing this interview today and can't wait to see how everything keeps going. Sounds like it's been a fabulous experience so far. So thanks for sharing everything. Yeah, no, thank Like, again, I love this podcast. And thank you so much for having me. Like, it's just surreal, like how fast things can happen as well. Like when you really put yourself out there and carve out your own lane, if you know Mm -hmm. what I mean. So it's just great. So I appreciate this conversation and to connect with you because like I was telling my friend earlier, like just you being so transparent about your business journey, I think definitely helped me to have confidence. So I do appreciate that. That's like the whole point really like that's why I love interviewing people because I feel like I feel the same way like outside of dietetics when I was just trying to blog I looked at blogging mentors and it's just hearing the stories and the transparency it's so motivating at least for me so that's what I was trying to build in the dietetic space too so you did it it. yeah (laughs) um okay so Yeah. yeah thank you yeah thank you so much I hope you found that conversation as energizing as I did. Just a reminder that if you want to connect with Rosie, you can find her at her new website, rosiemensa.com and at rosiemensa on Instagram. Hope you have a great rest of your week.